obviously it, it's part of how we measure success. The success of our business is based on whether or not our clients succeed. Um, I, you know, if, if I'm charging money and putting our time and our devotion into a project for it to fail, um, that's not a model that, that's sustainable, nor does it get me a good night's sleep. You know, when, when you're doing a great job for your people and you know you're doing the best that you can and accomplishing the goals that they want to accomplish, at night when I lay down and go to sleep, I just sleep very well. And when I'm out doing things that I like to do in my personal life, I know that I'm doing them because I've done some good for my clients. Are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risked their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored the entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and today I have the pleasure of having on the line Mr. Andrew Deutsch. Are you there, Andrew? I'm here. Awesome. So glad to have you here. Um, I'll introduce you in just a second. Um, I just want for my audience who's been following along with our travels, um, we are moved finally. We got uh, out of South Carolina and we're up in uh, Pennsylvania. We went through like four or five states over the last few weeks since you've seen our last interview. Super fun. We got to go see Gettysburg with the kids this last week, which was um, phenomenal. If you ever get a chance to get out to Gettysburg, I highly recommend it um, to, you know, just for the history and the, the battle and stuff there. Have you ever been to Gettysburg yourself, Andrew? I have. Yeah, it's a great place. Yeah. Uh, it was it, it was really really interesting we went there yesterday with the kids and um you know it, you can almost like feel the history is palpable there um for for our country and you know it's it's one of those you know one of the most important battles probably in the history of the world um you know changed the face of the planet um and it's it's anyways really super cool uh, so what I want to do before we uh, get too far into this is do an introduction for you, for my audience member who's, members who don't know you. Um, so Andrew is the founder of The Fangled Group, a strategy-first multilingual global marketing and sales consultant who has successfully driven business growth in more than 100 countries, driving revenue in the tens of billions of dollars. Also the host of The Fangled Cast podcast, where incredible guests take deep dives into relevant topics for the business world. So with that short introduction, Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're known for now? What is it you do? How do you help people? Um, you know, what are your primary like products and services? Yeah, we are a strategy first marketing and sales consultancy, not an agency. What, what we do is we help customers truly understand who their customer is, what are their needs, desires, pains, uh, and wants in how, how they communicate that so that the company can really dig into how they differentiate themselves in a way that matters to them and also bests all other alternative solutions to the problems that they solve. How's that for a mouthful? So um, does that mean you, you primarily help companies identify their, their customer avatar? Yeah, I, the, the, the new word is avatar. Before that, it was persona. The, the language yeah. changes, but the, at the core of the strategy doesn't. Really, there's, 
the, the challenge most companies have is that they focus on their customers based on the features their products have, not on the value it brings to the customer. And, and also they tend to, to promote if they're, if they do understand the, 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 the value of their product, they don't look at it in terms of what the customer values. So, so many times you'll see companies out there that are really pushing their product based on what they're proud of. And those aren't the things that matter to the customer. So we need to align all of that in a, in a true strategy before we start going to that shiny little toolbox that has all of the tactical stuff like websites and social media and those things. None of those are truly effective until you've sorted out that what, what, what matters to that customer in solving the problems and challenges, needs, desires that they have. Yeah. And I'm, I've noticed that myself um, in growing our company. So like I run, I run a, a podcasting agency called Push Button Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the most difficult things that I've had is figuring out who my customer was for that service. Because right? mm-hmm. I, built, I built the company to solve a problem I had. Um, and then how do you, how do you extrapolate that into finding other customers who have the, the same problem? Right. And I know like the, what I was trying to solve for myself was a very particular problem. And then realizing that like, Hey, what's, what's the actual thing that's going to going to connect with the customer? Cause it's not always what I have going on in my head. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's not the, you know, it's not the same, the same problem. And that's been an, it's been an interesting sort of discovery to go on. Um, and we've only just recently found who our ideal client is. And it's not actually the end customer, right? It's it's other agencies who solve the problem before a podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for customers, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the podcast is all about audience building. Um, and a lot of um, it, it, for the longest time, we were targeting the people who are, um, who have podcasts and who are building podcasts and realizing that getting those people to understand, you know, what we offer wasn't super helpful. But if when we started talking to agencies who are helping businesses grow their sales funnels um, and realize that, hey, the next step after you have your sales funnel dialed in is you need to build an audience. Um, and all those agencies don't want to do that. They want to have someone to recommend their clients to. That's when our business started growing because we figured out who, who our actual like customer is. It's the referral partners that are like the, on the stage before us. <laughs> yeah. I can give you, give you an example. Um, there's a client who, who manufactures a almost a hundred year old formula for diaper rash cream for babies on the consumer space, which is not our, our central focus, but they've been in the market for years selling it based on the ingredients. So they say, well, people, people want to have the best. So they want to know that we've got the highest level of the zinc component that's in the, in the, in the cream. Well, we did a qualitative study. Customers who buy diaper rash cream, why did they make the selection that they make? Number one, they want to know that they're going to have a healthy, happy baby. Number two is they want a good night's sleep. And number three is they want something that's such a solid brand that they can tell the in-laws and their parents, leave us alone. We're good parents. We know what we're doing. Get off our back. And when you start marketing <laughs> ice cream under those three things, all of a sudden you're speaking the language of your customer, what they truly desire. And you can prove with your features that you're not lying. And the reason we can do those three things for you is because we use these ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, um, as a father of four children, I can tell you the, you know, the, the whole, the, that third one, particularly where everyone, everyone questions your parenting decisions all the time. And if you yeah, could just yeah. get people to stop, that's a, it's a stress constantly. Yeah. Well, what if doing business with me means that you can tell those people, leave me alone because this is my proof. That's a powerful, a powerful yeah. message. And it's not, not normally something you think about when you say, I need something to fix a, a diaper rash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've, I've had that discussion with a, um, a client in the past, um, we, we were, I was a, uh, 
marketing director for a solar company. And the president of the company um, for the longest time was in, he was in the business of getting investors for the company, right? So that was like his, one of his primary jobs was I have to get investors to come and put, give money to the company. And he was driving a, um, an eco-conscious car, right? Because we were an energy company. Um, and so he was driving, I can't remember what it was. It was like a, a Ford all-electric something or other, um, which is, I mean, it's a cool electric car, but it's not like, it's not a cool car, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a successful car. Um, and he, had a, he was having a really hard time um, connecting with the high level investors who he was trying to court to bring, bring to the table. Um, and he, we turned around and one of the marketing decisions we made was sell that car for the company. And we bought a, I think it was a, a BMW, um, like a five series, something like that to show up at the meetings with. Um, and all of a sudden it changed, it changed the entire dynamic with people he was bringing to the table, um, because they looked at him differently. Right. And it was like, it's, um, we thought, you know, we're a cool energy company driving cool energy efficient cars. We can get the, uh, the investors to come to the table and like, that's not what they were interested in. They didn't connect with them on that level. Cause that's, that's what our customers are interested in, but it's not what the investors were interested in. And you had to change the messaging a bit, yeah. um, for the customer. Yeah. yeah. And companies have to recognize that there's not always just that one customer. That's a perfect example. Their end user of their product is the environmentally conscious that would want him driving that electric car, but the bank, doesn't care. They're yeah. interested in that business, not because they're saving the planet, which is kind of sad that they feel that way, but they're in it because they want to know how much is their ROI. If I put this many yeah. dollars in, what am I going to get back out? And those they guys want, want yeah. to see a prosperity story. So, mm-hmm. so a strategy for a company like that is bifurcated in that you've got one set of messaging that's going to those end users and another that's going to the investors and they have to intertwine so that if either sees it, it doesn't, it doesn't create a, a conflict in, in the message. Those yeah. Are, yeah. Those so are challenging situations. It was, it was interesting because it was one of those things that we, we, we couldn't figure out from a marketing perspective is like, why, why are we having trouble with the investors? Cause, and you don't think of investors as customers, mm-hmm. but you have to, right. Cause they are customers. They're customers of, but they're customers of different thing. They're a customer of the ROI of the company, not mm-hmm. of the end product. Um, so you had to have a different marketing message for the investors than you do for your consumers. Absolutely. And they sort of have to, they have to talk to each other. So anyways, you're, you're in that business of figuring out how to get people to message properly to whoever they're selling to. With that's, a, that's a portion of what we do. Yeah. And then once, once yeah. we built that core strategy, then, then it branches into the, the concept of how do we execute on this? And what are the proper tools to, to, to truly adhere to that brand strategy that we've created the strategic plan uh, going forward? And that's when mo- most of our clients, we act as the fractional chief marketing or chief commercial officer so we become part of the business uh, and, and help that team choose the proper, the proper people that we built the team for to then execute and, and make those things reality. Uh, it's not so, just, you know, having a strategy doesn't do you any good if you don't know how to implement it and how to execute and, and, and measure it. When, when is a company sort of at, at the point where they're looking to hire someone like you? Is it like something they do at the very beginning or once they sort of hit a certain level? Um, like yeah. when, when is the ideal time to bring someone like you in to help? It, the, the, the scenarios vary. There are startups that come to us right away and say, we don't have the funds, nor do we need a full-time chief marketing officer, but we need an executive level strategist. 
and we we devote to them a period, you know, one day a week to be part of their team. A majority of our customers are people that have been burnt by uh, unscrupulous uh, agencies that that jump right to the tactics before building yeah. strategies, um, and and then overcharge through what we joke is the project management fees. Um, yeah. We don't charge project management fees because we're we're hired to manage the project. We we give the rate at what it costs for us to coordinate in our team to make things happen, and that's what we do. Um, so we get we get a, a great deal of business from people that have been burned and now want a rational way that they can actually keep track of what it costs, get the results that they want, and not have that scope creep that that gives agencies bad names. And there's a lot of great agencies out there. We deal with with many of them. But that's a big portion. And then the next is companies that have been no agency, no otherwise, and they've been, you know, a standard industrial player for years and years. And they go, you know what, we're stuck. We want to grow. Uh, the owner of the company says, you know what, I'm, I'm 60. I want to retire in five years. Can you get me to the next level? So when I sell, I can get a bigger payout when I exit and, and those types of scenarios. So it's, it's, it's across that gamut of, of, of startup to, to exit or, or looking to be acquired. Nice. And um, so when you're in that space, do you, is it is it lots of different sort of industries like e-commerce focus or any particular like space that you guys are you guys are focused on? Up until a couple of years ago, the majority of our business was the industrial B2B space, companies doing business with companies. Uh, because of the accomplishments in that arena, many of our clients have referred us or have referred clients to us that are in the consumer space. So we've added quite a bit of consumer business in the last couple of years successfully. At the core, building a strategy isn't that different. Where we don't play, yeah. they're like lawyers, doctors' offices, insurance, highly regulated. We don't have people in our pool uh, that have that expertise. And rather than the fake it till you make it and, and actually get yourself in trouble by being dishonest, we just don't play where we don't know. That makes sense. Yeah, I have a, um, a company in the... Uh e-commerce space, a consumer e-commerce company that um, sounds like might fit directly in that, uh, that help. Cause I know we're, we're sort of struggling with identifying some, I, um, some things. So anyways, we're going to have some discussions about that later, but anyways, it sounds really fascinating that you, uh, you do some of those things. What I want to find out is your origin story. How did you get into um, this business? We talk on the show, every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. And we want to hear that story. Were you born a hero? Were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into the, uh, it was, um, it was a radioactive business? Bat. Got radioactive bat. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, or did you start in a job and eventually, you know, become an entrepreneur? Where did you, where did you come from? Well, I, I came from, from a family of, of, that had entrepreneurial background. My grandfather uh, on, on my mother's side during the depression was sweeping floors two days a week at a printing factory. And by the time I came around, he had one of the largest uh, printing, printing companies in Cleveland, Ohio, specializing in, being able nice. to print on, on adhesive stock. So almost a, a major percentage of all car batteries in the United States at that time had his labels on. That was his. So he, he came from nothing and, and created that business. Um, and, and in That's that, amazing. I recognized that niche market that he created of printing on adhesive stock as opposed to being just a regular printer doing you know flyers and brochures and things like that. Um, it was very successful with it. On the other side of my family, in the 1800s, my second great-grandfather uh, started the first full-service funeral home in, in the whole Midwest. And, and 
from from a from immigrant to very successful business. Of course, my dad wasn't interested, nor was I. So we're not we're no longer <laughs> no longer in the funeral business in the family, although the name still exists. Um, so I had that background. I I was in high school, got uh, an opportunity to be an exchange student, and lived in Sweden for a period of time, and really got to see how different the world was than what we were told in our very uh, America first sort of mindset and recognize that just because other places are different doesn't make them bad. It actually made it more interesting. So I became fascinated with differences in the world. So when I went to school, I decided to study international trade and I worked, uh, worked on that degree, finished my bachelor's, took a position working for a nonprofit organization, which was kind of out of the box where I learned how to be a true salesman. How do you sell a product that isn't a product? You get people to give you money for a handshake and a certificate and manage a program yeah. that, that benefited youth. So I did that for a period of time until I was ready to go back to grad school. Unfortunately, every MBA I knew was unemployed. The economy kind of stunk at that time. So I went back and studied instead, wanting to be in international multicultural marketing, uh, focused more in, in, a, in a master's in psychology. So uh, worked as a therapist for a period of time while I was building my business, trying to get clients that wanted to do international work uh, and broke into the Central American market. In 93, uh, I took a project for 90 days in Brazil and ended up living there for 10 years. And that's where I really built my business. Uh, being By being that's in a cool. different part of the world, the market had just opened uh, to, to global trade. So in the US, I was a guy who knew stuff there because of it being a closed market for so many years, I, I ended up being a guy who knew more. So it gave me opportunities to really get involved in some, some incredible trade projects, helping American companies set up distribution all throughout South America. So, so really that global thing, the comfort and the learning from things that are different than me, as opposed to being scared and run away from them, I always ran towards them. And that's where, that's the core of, of how I do what I do today. So just a couple of thoughts on that. First, it's really fascinating to have such a long history of entrepreneurship in your family. Um, but with the uh, international stuff, how, how have you, uh, um, has, has like learning languages and being able to cross those, those language barriers been um, a difficult skill to acquire and how important has that been to your success? Yeah. I mean, learning, learning other languages comes out of necessity really. And it's, it, it's very difficult, I think, to learn a language sitting in a classroom. Of total immersion yeah. living. I tell you what, when you, you just, you know, you got to get a drink of water and then you need to get rid of that water. You learn real quick how to ask for a glass of water. Where's the bathroom? And then everything else sort of, sort of, <laughs> sort of grows, grows out of there. Um, I, you know, to me, it, it's almost, I, I joke, it's not really, but I say it's child abuse to not, to not have children that learn second and third languages um, because the opportunities are so great. All of my kids can speak at least three um, because of our lives. And when, when the resumes get checked, theirs goes to the top. It's, it's a skill set that's highly yeah. needed, highly, highly desired and, and, and moves people forward in their career. So yeah, the language. And it's language, only going to get a, it's only going to get more important as our economy <laughs> gets more and more global. Yeah. And you know, there are countries, you know, you can only learn so many languages, but, um, and being that English is your core language, it is an advantage, but it's not the end all. To, to really understand another culture, you really have to understand how they speak. There's, there's yeah. things that, are, that it, words, phrases, co concepts that don't exist in other languages that 
then if you understand that, you can understand the thought process of those people when you're building your strategy. Yeah, yeah, it's really uh, it's really fascinating. I know my um, my son is in a, um, a Spanish training right now. He's uh, in a and they do a full immersion, which is cool. So like the whole class is taught in Spanish and like mm-hmm. the first, the first lesson he did was English to let him know basically that, Hey, the whole rest of the class is going to be in Spanish. And that was it. Um, and so it's, you know, it's his first Spanish thing. He's doing pretty good, um, which is cool. But yeah, that's, uh, um, we just started, started him on that and he's in fourth grade, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, yeah, yeah. So, you know, just, just getting on that. And we're, uh, we tried a little bit with, with our next child who's seven um, in the first grade stuff. And she was struggling with the full immersion stuff. Um, so we'll, we'll probably push it off another year for that. But anyways, it's, it's definitely on our radar as well. And I know we're looking at, uh, um, at traveling internationally more with the kids. So, you know, learning the language stuff will be really important. And, yep. you know, my wife is really good at it. She speaks yep. like six languages. Um, I speak English really, really well. Are you sure? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Um, but the, uh, um, I, I, I should, I should paraphrase that. I write English. Well, I don't speak it as well as I write it, but the, uh, um, I said paraphrase and that was a, the wrong word. Um, so they, you know, just to prove that I, my point that I don't speak it as well as I write it. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the language learning thing, um, has been an interesting sort of like struggle for me. Cause, um, I want to do it, but I, str- I struggle with, um, I struggle with the learning of it. Um, which is, which is interesting. Cause like my wife doesn't, my wife and I all sit down and do go through the same stuff and she picks it up really fast. Yeah, um, problem, and I think, I think part I of that is she had, she had more language in her childhood than I did. Yeah. So. I think the problem most people have with language learning is the, the willingness to sound weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> making odd sounds until somebody starts to recognize that they mean something. It's it, there's a, there's a certain moment. It's interesting when you, you learn the first language. There's a silent period, and that's normal. Um, and if you if you learn with your ears and not with your eyes, it's also much much easier to pick up other languages. All that I all the languages I speak, I learned traveling. I never I never took a class um, to speak of um, because if you you know we as an American, you'll read the letters on the page and you'll be pronouncing those words as if they were English, and the pronunciations are different. So. Yeah. So there's, there's the ability to, to hear and repeat. And, and when you can start to ask a question, that's when, when you can really learn, like, how, how do you say so-and-so? And, and, but asking that in the yeah. language and getting the feedback so that you, you exercise making those odd sounds. My, uh, um, my favorite phrase in Spanish is the, uh, como se dice, which is how do you say, uh-huh. um, and my, my, my biggest struggle, because Spanish is the language I know the most of outside of English. And my biggest struggle is always like, I can, I've gotten to a point where I can read it really well. Mm-hmm. Like, so I can read signs and we get to places that have um, Spanish. Like you, I can read all of the Spanish, but when someone speaks it to me, I can't hear the spaces between the words. Yeah. Well, when you're reading them, are you reading them in the pronunciation of Spanish or are you reading them in American? That's a good that question. I don't know. That's, that's probably, what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's, you know, when I learned Portuguese, I, I couldn't read it. I didn't even try to read it until I could communicate because I would read a word and, and then somebody would say it and I, it, there was no connection because the pronunciation yeah. is completely different than what I was reading on the page. Yeah. So it, it really helped me. That's interesting. And I know like it's, it's such a, such a valuable skill and uh, it's, it's almost verging on at this point, like becoming a superpower in the business world. If you can speak multiple languages, yeah. um, it just puts you at the top of like any list that you're on. Yeah. So. And there have been situations where people in the room didn't know that I knew English. So, you know, there was a conversation going with a translator to the crew and then I would sit around and wait for the, 
the other people to start speaking English and I would know what they didn't think anybody was understanding. So it was almost <laughs> like, almost like being a spy or a fly on the wall kind of thing. That's cool. the, most, the most difficult is when you're the middle person. So like yeah. I would travel with a Brazilian client to China. So there's a, a Chinese person speaking to a Chinese translator who's speaking to me in English and then me translating it to Portuguese and, and going from language to language like that back and forth. It's very complicated and you have to be very accurate and ask lots of questions in the middle to make sure that what you're communicating is correct. Because that yeah. game of, uh, of, of repeat, repeat, sometimes the, the, the actual meaning gets diluted or, or disappears. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm in the process of trying to learn a little bit of uh, Tagalog, um, which is the language in the Philippines, because we've got, I've got staff in the Philippines. Um, and it's very, it's very difficult uh, to do when you're, you know, not full immersion, but, you know, thankfully most of my staff all speaks English um, that is over there. Um, so anyways, it's, it's something that I know, you know, mm-hmm. the more I, the more I pick up on it, the better it's going to be. And I know we want to go visit that, that country at some point as well. So that's, you know, I want the languages I think that are super important nowadays, uh, Chinese, Spanish, English are like your three big ones that covers most of the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then probably uh, Hindu. Um, and I'm not sure what the language name is. Hindi. Hindi. There you go. Yeah. Um, are, that, cover, that covers a large portion of your world if you can get those four languages down. Yep. So, yep. Good, luck what, uh, good luck with the Hindi. <laughs> what languages do you speak? Uh, fluently Portuguese, Spanish, and English. And I can read and understand uh, Italian, French, a little Romanian, a little Swedish. I used to be able to communicate in Mandarin, but I've, I've kind of lost it over the years. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. A little Swedish. I, I feel like this uh, sort of fits right into that, uh, that whole superpower discussion. I'm going to talk a little bit about your superpowers. So, you know, every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's, you know, a fancy flying suit or a genius intellect um, or super strength. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, right? It's, which is a skill or a set of skills that you were either born with or you developed over time that helps set you apart. Right? It's what allows you to help people slay their villains and come out on top in their journeys. Right? So um, the way that I frame this for, for my guests is if you think through all of your, your skills that you've developed over your life, there's probably a common thread that ties all those skills together. Um, and that common thread is probably where you find your superpower. Right? For me, it's always been the ability to sort of see the systems below what's going on. Right? So I've got, a, I've got a, a sort of a superpower in the systems world. Um, and all of my other skills sort of tie into that. So with that sort of framing, what do you think your superpower is? It's, it's being able to see an opportunity that nobody else can see. It, it really, I mean, it's, it's a, a common thread through my, my career, whether it's uh, new product development, marketing concepts, or otherwise, um, being, being able to see that opportunity that's right there in front of everyone, the elephant in the room that nobody, nobody recognizes. So why, why do you think that's something that is set apart for you? Like, why, why can you see opportunities that other people can't? Because my, my, my brain goes off thinking about the, the, actual, the actual place that it can be into the future um, in ways that, that I don't think other people do. So uh, several of the products that, that, that I've been involved in, in invention through, through you know, actual market release were, were ideas that, that nobody had ever put together before. Yeah. So one of, one of the things I, I, I don't know if this is exactly correct, but I sort of look at that superpower as the ability to see potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked to a few people who have that. I sort of have a little bit of that in, in, in my, my repertoire, probably not superpower level, but I, I recognize it. Um, and the way that I've always sort of like 
made a, a metaphor for people to understand that superpower is the people who do the home renovations, right? Where they can go into a garbage heap and see the future of what that can be. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't have that skill, right? Yeah. They don't have the ability to look at something and see potential. They yeah. only see what is in front of them. Yeah, talk uh, any realtor and they'll tell you, if you don't stage the house, people have no vision of what the house could be. That's why yeah. houses are hard to sell. Yeah. So, cause they, cause people don't see potential. They see, yeah. they see what's yeah. in front of them. Yeah. Um, and seeing potential is, um, is it's like I said, it's a, it's almost a superpower. And what's interesting is I think that's one of those, one of those superpowers that you can, you can be born with and you can have like genius level sort of like work with it, but it's also a skill you can develop. You can develop the ability to see potential. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just sort of curious, do you think that's something that you've developed um, or do you think it's something that you were, um, that you were born with? I, I think we, we, we develop it from, from the role models around us and the, and the experiences that we have in the life and early successes that we've had. I mean, you, you think about you, you and I see a big boulder in the yard. It's a beautiful boulder. A sculptor looks at it and says, look, there's Caesar. And then he goes and removes everything that is yeah. Caesar and Caesar's left in the front yard. So yeah. <laughs> that's all sculptors do is they, they see a rock and they take away everything that isn't what they want. Yeah, they see they see the potential and they make it happen. And like I, one of the things that we, you know, and just in the marketing world, and I don't know if you guys um, work on this at all, but we do um, some work with like developing websites for clients, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. they always want to see a product, a project before it's done. And I used to let clients see projects before they were like to a certain level, and then it would always derail projects because they because they don't see potential, right? Um, and I'd be like, hey, we're at the the you know the the framing stage of this site, right. Where we're building, you know, we're building the doors and the walls and like the, uh, those things where there's no furniture and there's no style on it yet. Um, but the structure is always the same. And so we'd get to the structure thing and they'd like, we want to see it. And I'd let them see it. And they'd be like, it's all wrong. It's not our brand. It's not our business. And it's all failing. I'm like, but like, we're not there yet. We're like, we have to build the skeleton before we can put on the, you know, the, the flesh and the, uh, the, the outfits and whatnot. And so it's interesting, like you have to, you have to know, um, when you're working with people, whether or not they have that skill, that ability to see potential. Um, cause you know, it's, it's a, a discussion that can derail projects if you're working with people who can't or don't have that skill. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Every, every client the, the challenge most companies have is that they, they sort of have, whether they want to admit it or not, a standard approach with every client. And our, our approach varies depending on who we're dealing with and knowing who they are and understanding yeah. the customer. We, we say, you know, our business, Fangled, at the core, our business is to help our customers convert every touch into a voracious advocate for their brand. And we say every touch because it's not every person they do business with. It's everyone that their company, their brand touches. Uh, some of my greatest referrals come from people that I've not done business with, but they're advocates for what we do because they've seen the successes and the stories and, and projects that we've worked on. Or, or at some point in time, know someone who's benefited from something that we brought to market. Yeah. Um, so, my uh, my my next question for you is about your the flip side of that, your fatal flaw, right? So every um, you know every Superman has his kryptonite, and Wonder Woman can't remove her you know bracelets of victory without going mad. You probably have a flaw, right? Something that's held you back in your business, something. That you struggled with. For me, it was a couple of things. Things like perfectionism um, kept me from shipping, um, or lack of self-care, which you know um, early in my career let led me to let my clients walk all over me. Um, but maybe it's been um, you know 
I think more important than what the flaw is, have you worked to rectify it um, so you can overcome that flaw and continue to grow? Yeah, I, you know, my, my biggest flaw was, was too much. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, the working, working too much. So there was a period of time where I, I was on the road 220 days a year. I'd be in 45 countries every year. I would fly 300,000 miles those years. And my, everything about me started to fall apart. I weighed, when I quit that job and changed the style of what I was doing, I weighed 365 pounds, couldn't walk up a flight of stairs, never knew what time it was, never slept. Um, and I rectified it by making a decision to take family and health over all of that and, and got my priorities straight. So dropped 160 pounds, got my, uh, myself on a much more regulated scale. It took about three years to get my internal clock working again. Um, but that was, yeah, those were, those were some interesting years. So, so it was a uh, health struggles that, uh, that kept you from, uh, from a combination of so many things, but, uh, it, it, it was a realization that it didn't do me any good to do all of that travel, all of that work and not have any of the benefit of it. And I was unhealthy and, and not happy and not seeing my kids, not seeing my wife, um, you know, have a nice home that I built and never see it and live in it. So couldn't, I didn't have time to do any of my hobbies. Um, and I made the decision that I needed life balance and health. So I did it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, it's, it sort of falls into that self-care thing, right? You have to, uh, you know, put the mask over your own face where you can take care of other people. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, and the airplane, airplane crash. And it's a, it's an important thing to learn how to, um, learn how to manage as an entrepreneur. Um, mm -hmm. I know it's really easy to get into the spot where you are, you know, working all the time. Um, I know I, I did that I was working like 18 hours a day and not doing what I needed to do. Um, and I actually found my business grows, has grown a lot more since I've started focusing more on having things going in my own life properly. Um, yeah. I spent the last year working on yeah. getting really healthy myself. Yeah. You had mentioned the Philippines. I remember one morning I woke up in a hotel and looked around the room and went over to the desk and picked up the little book on the hotel desk and went, how the hell did I get to Cebu, Philippines? What, I didn't even know I was here. I didn't know what country I was in or I would walk up to the front desk of a hotel speaking the wrong language because I was just not, yeah. not aware. And those were the, those were the signs that I needed to make a life change. Absolutely. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your um, common enemy and the common enemy is, um, is generally we put in the context of your clients, but it's, you know, every superhero has their arch nemesis, right? It's the thing they constantly have to fight against in their world. Um, in the world of business, it takes on a lot of forms, but generally speaking, when you're, it's um, with your clients, it's something that you have to fight against all the time when you bring someone on, right? And it's a mindset or it's a flaw that you're having to fight to overcome so that you can actually get your clients the results that you promised them. Um, and so what do you think that sort of is a thing that you constantly have to, you know, sort of do battle with if you had your magic wand, you could just bop all your clients yeah. on the head and not have to deal with that as soon as you, you hired them, what would that be? Yep. There's a toss up between two different categories. One, which is the most insidious is someone who's hiring a consultant for one more reason to fail. Um, and that happens. There'll be someone who's working in an organization and they're offended that the CEO is telling the VP of marketing, you need to bring in an agency to do that, or you need to bring in a consultant to do this kind of work. And they, they take it as an insult rather than someone trying to offer them some help. And those situations can be really, we, we tend, if we recognize it, we don't take on the client. Um, yeah. It, it happens more often than, than you would think. And the other, which is even worse, 
is a company that wants to hire a consultant, although they already know their answers and they're wrong. So we, we, we think that we're going to go in this direction. We're going to bring you in uh, so that you can find out that all these other things out there don't really work. And then we can go back to what we were doing. Uh, and they're not conscious that that's what they're, what they're doing. But you show up and you say, we've looked at your company. This is the evaluation. And these are the things. Well, that's not what we do. And we go, well, if that's not what you do, why am I here? You brought me in because what you were doing wasn't working, right? And, and you have to deal, you have to work through that sometimes. Uh, and again, with the experience that we have, we recognize that up front and set the parameters so that they recognize you do know that we're probably going to come up with a solution for you that's going to work great and it will not match what you do now. And, and if that's uncomfortable, we probably shouldn't move forward with the project. Yeah, yeah. How often do you run into stuff like that? Yeah, more often than you would think. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, when you, we're, we're in the business of changing companies for growth and you get people that, that don't, don't want to make a change. I give you an example, you know, in manufacturing, there's, you have all of the capabilities. If you can do this, there's this whole other market that you could, you could be selling to. Oh, we don't sell to that market. And it's okay, but that market has higher margins, uh, better paying customers. It, it has a, a better capability for you to scale. And uh, we, don't, we don't do that operation. Well, if you add that operation, you, you know, those kinds of conversations, the CEO of the company absolutely believes in it, but the, the production and operations folks don't see it because it, it doesn't. So you have to create an environment for a company like that where they recognize, by the way, if we grow that, there's higher salaries. We can add a second shift to lower your responsibilities and you're, you're not going to be working you know, 10, 12-hour days that you don't want to. We could have two eight-hour shifts. There's a lot of other things that can come into it. But, but yeah. those are, so those you're, are kind of real challenges. You have to learn how to talk their language. You got you to <laughs> learn how to show people what's in it for them. Yeah. Otherwise, change so, is scary. Now, everybody loves change if it means an easier life and, and more money. Do you, do you see those problems crop up more in like larger companies than smaller ones? It's, it's across the board. Um, but like, for example, you, you, a, recent, a recent client was a, you know, 30 something years in the same location, same employees. They haven't done anything different. They've been growing. And you, you talk to employees in the company and you ask, you know, what's your future? I got three more years of this. Don't change anything. I, I want anything to change. I just want to finish my three years. I want to retire. And that's half the team. That's a very different yeah. environment than a startup where we got this thing going. We know what we're doing but they're failing. And you say, you're failing because of this, this, and that. Let's maybe if we change these, no, no, we know what we're doing. It's those disconnects that are always fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you have, yeah, it's like part of your job is figure out how to, how to change the people's willingness and actions to, to actually hit, hit the goal that they want. Right. See the secret to it is our, we're, we're helping our customer deal with their customer. So we have to know both of those, those customers. We have to know yeah. who that, that the personas and the end users that they're trying to market to that we're helping them grow their business. But we recognize that our customer is also the people on the floor who we have to, to, to show the benefit to them in making the change. Yeah, so you have, you have to sell twice. <laughs> sometimes sometimes multi-levels. Yeah, um, which is... Which is an interesting skill, right? And it's something that uh, um, I, I think a lot of people who are in the consulting and agency space that are working with customers, um, they don't realize they have to do that, um, which is what you, know, you, you mentioned earlier. Um, 
the uh, some of the problems that you run into is you know taking over for other agencies, mm-hmm. um, and I know that's a problem that I've seen in the past is like the agencies who fail don't understand the multi-level like sort of customer like how, how to convince everyone at the different levels. Um, yeah, we, and we don't we don't take over for other agencies. We start over. Start over. There's, yeah. Yeah. There's there. It's rare that we take over from another agency because what they've done doesn't fit the model of what we do. So we go back to the beginning and, and, and don't take the assumptions that we're failing and work on those. We, we, we go back to the core. Yeah. Yeah. So if your common enemy enemy is the thing that you're fighting against is your arch nemesis, then your driving force is the flip side of that, right? It's the thing that you fight for, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham, um, you know, or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it that you guys fight for at Fangled Tech? We, we fight for accomplishment. We, we, we fight to help our clients convert all the people they touch into voracious advocates for their brand. Uh, that's, that's where the growth occurs. So it's, it's all about their growth. It's all about accomplishing those goals and getting to the place that they've defined they want to go and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just from a, like a personal uh, standpoint, why is it that you target that? Like, what does that do for, for you guys and your, your company? Well, it, obviously it, it's part of how we measure success. The success of our business is based on whether or not our clients succeed. Um, I, you know, if, if I'm charging money and putting our time and our devotion into a project for it to fail, um, that's not a model that that's sustainable, nor does it get me a good night's sleep. You know, when, when you're doing a great job for your people and you know you're doing the best that you can and accomplishing the goals that they want to accomplish, at night when I lay down and go to sleep, I just sleep very well. And when I'm out doing things that I like to do in my personal life, I know that I'm doing them because I've done some good for my clients. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's one of those, those things that uh, um, I know for me, because we travel and we do other things that... I know I can't have go out and have a, like a good day with my family, my kids and stuff. If I know our agency is failing in certain areas, sure. like if, you know, you've got like, you got to have your business running right in order to, you know, to want to go out and actually enjoy this life that we have. So I always wonder how people who do a horrible job at work or, or, or are dishonest with the people that they work with, how they don't choke on what they eat, knowing that they bought it, it with dishonest money. Yeah. is isn't, it isn't something that fits in my model of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely makes sense. But, you know, um, I think those are probably the same people who throw litter out the window when they're driving on the, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, driving down the road. I don't understand those people either. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Yep. They're around. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about some practical things then for actually, you know, growing your business and working with it. I call this your hero's tool belt. Um, and just like every superhero has their tool belt with awesome gadgets like batarangs or web slingers or laser eyes, or maybe, you know, big magical hammers. Um, talk about one or two tools that you couldn't live without in your business. Could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to a marketing tool that you use, or maybe something you use to deliver your actual services to your clients. Something you think is essential to getting the job done. Yeah, I'm still, I mean, the, the, the basic tools of, of technology, <clears throat> Excuse me. The the ability to to video conference to organize myself schedule wise email phone all of that core the 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 video system that I'm using that you saw of screwing around with the bat wings before to to be able yeah. to really present uh, in a way that's memorable all of those tools are important and and then the other are the tools that that we have that are, that aren't necessarily physical the ability to to communicate to to measure. Uh, 
the people that we're working with, uh, the tools to really understand the motivators, the needs and desires of, of the folks in our team to make sure that they're all getting what they want out of the business uh, and, and their accomplishments. All of those things are, are important to us, those communication tools. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, too, because the communication stuff has changed a lot over the last uh, decade or so. And I know, like I, I tell people all the time, we're like in the golden age of business, like you you can be on the same footing as a Fortune 500 company now with just, you know, 100 bucks worth of tools. Um, and that's, uh, um, it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, because, uh, you know, you and I are on different sides of the country. And um, we got people all over the world that you can, uh, you can work with now with video conferencing. And I remember, you know, when, when I was a kid, we used to think stuff like this was like sci-fi future fancy stuff. Um, and now we use it every day. Imagine when I was a kid and there, there was no such thing as a personal computer. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when calculators first came out and they were a thousand bucks and, and, yeah, and I, Oh my God, we're never going to be able to afford these things. And the first fax machine came out. There was never going to be anything better than that. I remember, um, I, I like, I, I vividly remember a discussion in high school with one of my math teachers telling us that you, you wouldn't, you have to learn how to do this math by hand because not everyone can afford a calculator and you're not going to be able to just, you know, calculate things whenever you want. Um, and it's funny because like nowadays, you know, you can put a computer on your wrist that you can talk to that'll calculate things for you. Yeah. But um, I still, and everyone has still an advocate that you should know how the math works. Yeah, you should know how the math works. I, t- I tell it my son all the time. Like, I actually, we have, we have this discussion regularly with our kids. Um, like, my, my son, for instance, is currently learning to type. Mm-hmm. Um, and he always, he's upset at us for like, why, why are you making me learn to type? I don't have to type. I can just push the little button and talk to my computer and it types for me. And I'm like, that's, I mean, it's all well and good that it can do that. Um, but there's like, there's some foundational skills that come with learning to type that you have to know how to do. Like mm-hmm. maybe your kids won't because <laughs> we'll have like neural connections to your brain, but you are still in that generation where you're going to have to know how to type in order to succeed. Yeah. Um, and there's so much technology like that. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine being able to do advanced statistical analysis for my clients if I didn't understand how stats work. So just being able to plug in any, any answer yeah. and not knowing where it came from. You, you assume that those answers are correct when, if you had the rational understanding of how the numbers worked before, you'd have a basis of understanding whether or not those numbers made sense or not. So the idea of not yeah, yeah. the basics of, you know, everyone still has to know how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Um, it, mm-hmm. it just doesn't, it doesn't ring true to me that somehow just the machines are going to end up doing it. We don't have to know it anymore. And it's yeah, not I've, because I've I think, told you know, the zombie apocalypse nonsense that someday you're going to have to fend for yourself. It's, it's really how, how do you, so you have to understand it? Yeah. I feel, I feel like it's the, uh, the abstract multiply and divide and the ability to create and understand formulas um, are like the, the major math skills you sort of, you need to have. Um, yeah. Cause you know, you may not need to yeah. know how to calculate the formula, like how to actually do the math because computers are good yeah. at that, but you should be able to design them. Yeah. It's um, the difference. You know, if you're studying yeah. history, do you, is, is history just a bunch of dates and times and locations or is it the concepts behind how people behaved? And what they did, and what were the strategies yeah, and the behind, stories behind those? Those are so much more important. I, I, if you ask me to talk about history, I can talk about a lot of incredible things throughout the, the the globe. If you want me to just name dates and times on calendars and the events and things like that, that's not that's not my forte. Yeah, yeah. And what's what's interesting too is like you know I, we mentioned earlier um, we were just at Gettysburg yesterday, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's a really important history thing. And I couldn't tell you the date like that it happened. Um, I probably you know if I thought about it for a while, it's like eighteen sixty something or other. Yeah. But like that's not nearly as relevant as like some of the stories that you get out of that, where you realize mm-hmm. that like you know 
the Battle of Gettysburg, you know, a couple of the generals on either side were like best friends. They grew up together. Like mm -hmm. it was, it was a civil war, like, you know, neighbors and brothers fighting brothers. Um, and that was like, that's, that's the story of, of the civil war. And, right. you know, it's, I think those concepts are way more important than the dates and the names and stuff like yeah. that. And to realize you know, how it's, how, how history is important. I personally think it was an uncivil war, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about your own personal heroes then, right? So, you know, these are your, your, your uh, mentors, right? Every hero has their mentors. You know, Frodo had Gandalf, um, Luke had Obi-Wan, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, Spider-Man even had his uncle Ben. Um, who are some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors, um, speakers, authors, maybe peers who are a couple of years ahead of you? And how important were they, what you've accomplished so far? Yeah, I mean, when I go back to the beginning, I mentioned my, my grandparents who were, who were quite entrepreneurial and, and heroic to me in terms of what they did. Um, in the business world, there's, there are folks, uh, there's a gentleman, Jim Cassidy, who's, who's a close friend of mine today, who was one of, one of the champion sales guys in the old days of copiers, who really learned the, the very core of what a salesman does and was able to be one of the top achievers, top sales managers, and otherwise in his life. And a lot of the, the, the conversations we have today as, as one of my mentors uh, has led me to, to a conceptual way of sales that are different than most. Um, when I look at, at from a, a marketing perspective and people who have, have grown businesses from nothing, there've been several, you know, na the names don't really matter because nobody would know them. Um, I'm not one of those guys that looks to these, these like Elon Musk's and the people like that of the world and say, oh, they're my heroes. Um, it's really people that, that I've had, had direct contact with who I've learned from and made me better at what I do. Yeah. Um, what's fascinating to me, um, and one of the reasons I asked this question is, uh, is just to sort of find out how important to people like the, the interpersonal relationships are for, um, for people to grow something. Um, and what I found with surprising consistency is the, uh, you know, we've done like 160 of these interviews now, um, how often the hero is in, in their life, it's someone, it was a family member or a teacher or someone like that. If you went and asked that person today, did you know, I was your, you know, you're one of my heroes. They wouldn't even know. Yeah. Right. And, um, and there's a bunch of them throughout my life, but I don't, you know, 
the, the kind of hero worship stuff that goes on in the business world. There's several people that they, they go out there. I'm the influencer and in the social yeah. media world, um, on, on LinkedIn, everybody talks about some guy named Gary V. I've, I've listened to him speak once and went, the guy's a jerk. I, I'm not yeah. interested. I don't like his attitude. I don't like the way he treats people. He's not somebody that, that I would possibly, I, I judge people based on how they treat other people, how productive they are and, and what they give and, and, and inspire people with. Um, I'm not out yeah. to be brash and, um, and it's such know, an interesting thing because we, we tend to, uh, we tend to look at fame as hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I find is, is it's very often that the people who we actually consider heroes are not people who are famous. Sometimes they are right. Sometimes you're like, Hey, I got a lot of inspiration from an Oprah Winfrey or from a Gary Vee or something like that. And that's fine. But what I find most often is the people who come on these shows and talk, it's, it's, you know, it was my 11th grade English teacher who told me it was okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah. that's one of my heroes. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, um, and I've, learned, I've learned from people who who've done amazing things, and I've also learned from horrible bosses who did horrible things who showed me how not to be a leader. Which is probably yeah. some of the better learning that I've had is what that person did had such a negative impact on people. I will never go in that direction and never treat people that way. But you learn both from the positive and the negative folks in your life. The the anti heroes can teach you just as much as the heroes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know, um, you know, one of my sources of inspiration for that question was a, uh, um, an actual hero of mine, um, said to me one day, he's like, you have to, uh, when you, you know, someday your kids are going to have a hero, mm-hmm. right. And if you're not worthy, it won't be you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I remember thinking that like, I didn't have kids at the time, but I remember when he said that to me, I was like, it, it was just a, a reminder that we have to live the kind of life that's worthy of being looked up to, especially mm-hmm. if you're going to be in a position where people are looking up to you, right. Yeah. You know, which happens yeah. as a parent or as a business owner, or as, you know, a consultant, um, you sort of have to, you have to be worthy of, you know, someone listening to you and taking action on the things that you say. Yeah. Years ago, someone had made a comment that, you know, if, if you wouldn't want to read your own biography at the end of your life, you probably haven't lived a life. And, and I've joked and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm on, you know, the third book. So Hopefully the fourth book will be one I want to read too. You know, it's, it's how, how do you, you truly live that life? And, you know, I've been, yeah, I've been in and out of, I, I, if, if today was the last day, I'm pretty proud of everything that I've accomplished and all the experiences that I've had. I've lived a much bigger life than, than most people deserve and continue to. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I feel the same way. Um, and which is interesting because, you know, I, I still consider myself fairly young and I'm like, we've, we've accomplished a lot. And like, I'm not at that point where like, if I died today, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be ready. I still have more stuff I want to do, more people I want to help, more things. But at the same time, we're like, I've gotten a lot accomplished, which is cool. Um, so I got one more question for you. Um, it'll be a wrap on our interview. Um, and, and it's basically your guiding principles. Um, so it's the things that, you know, make heroes heroic is that they live by a code. Um, for instance, Batman never kills his enemies. Um, he always brings them to Arkham Asylum. Um, so as we wrap, I'm going to talk about the top one or two principles that you use regularly in your life. Uh, maybe something you wish you knew when you first started out on your own hero's journey. Yeah, the one, one of my, my main principles is that I, I only work in industries that, that bring something positive to the world. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not one of these anti-gun nuts or, or otherwise, but I won't work with companies that make things that kill other people. I don't work with polluters and things like that. So to me, mm-hmm. if, if I know that I'm working for companies that in, in, in my view, 
do well. I, you know, other people may disagree with who those are, but, but I, I want to sleep well at night knowing that I didn't do something that, that potentially is harming people. And the other is I always, always lead with a mind of, of service and, and growth and being kind to people uh, to benefit rather than just, just the greed of, of scoring with dollars, no matter what those, those are sort of the core principles of the business. Um, and the last is to always, yeah. always rely on creativity and being creative in, in solutions and what we're doing, seeing, seeing things in different ways than other people see them. Yeah. So you're not going to do any work for uh, Stark Industries? No, no, no. <laughs> I, the stuff like that doesn't interest me. I, I've, I, I've had opportunities where people have come to me with extremely lucrative projects and, and positions that I've turned down because the industries were not something that, that I would be able to sleep well at night knowing I was involved with. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and I think that's part of one of the, uh, the important, you know, we mentioned talking about self-care before, um, as part of that self-care, knowing like what your own limits are, knowing where, where you're comfortable yeah. working, um, and realizing that it's, it's not worth selling your soul to accomplish something in your business. Yeah. I've um, learned enough from toxic people in the past that 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 isn't something that that I have interest in. Yeah, yeah. So that's a uh, that's a wrap on our interview. Um, but I do finish every interview with something I call um, a, with a simple challenge. I call the Heroes Challenge, um, and I do this basically to help me get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own. Right. Um, and it's a simple question. Right. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine, and why do you think they should come share their story? on our show. First person that comes to mind for you. Yeah, the one I already mentioned, uh, Jim, the, the incredible sales trader and, and salesman. One of the, one of the champs of, of the old school world of sales that still applies today. Absolutely. So um, I'll see if we can reach out later and maybe uh, get an introduction to him. Maybe he's interested in sharing his story on our show. Maybe not. But anyways, we always try to get, you know, get, uh, get interesting people on. Um, and it's always a, a helpful way to, uh, to find people who aren't trying to do the podcast rounds. Um, and then, you know, because everyone's heard them before. So we're trying to find yep. interesting people to come on and share. So we appreciate that. Um, so in comic books, there's always the crowd at the end of the, sh you know, end of the, uh, end of the book that, you know, as they're clapping or cheering for their work. So as we close our analogs to that, um, we want to find out from you where people can go if they want your help, where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak. Um, and more importantly, who are the right types of people to light up the bat signal and say, Hey, you know what? And, um, I would really love to have, um, fangled tech help us out. So where, where, where can people go and who are the right people? First of all, if, if you're looking at the video right next to me is our website, fangledtech.com. Check out the podcast, the Fangled Cast, which is all one word. You can where the video versions on YouTube and it's on all of those other places, the Stitchers and the Apple and the everywhere else the podcast can be heard. Um, and then there's also our virtual presenter course. Which I'll get you a link if, if people want to check out and learn how to, how to do video. The link I give you would actually give them a discount. So Hey, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes for people. Yeah, I'll give it. I'll give you that. Um, and you know, the ideal folks for us range. I I give every week no more than two, but what we call the pick my brain session. If somebody has an idea that they want to flesh out, whether it's a new product idea, marketing idea, concept, even even to go over the resume, I give thirty minutes of my time twice a week to pick my brain for free. Well, that's uh, fun. And you can you can send an inquiry through the website through fangletech.com and and go to our our inquiry page. And let me know. Um, and our, you know, the people that we're looking for are either someone who's got a great idea that they're getting started in a business and they need a part-time marketing executive involved, 
We have companies that have been burnt by marketing agencies who really want to go back to the core and build that strategy before they move forward again. And we've got successful businesses that, that are stuck and really want to grow or are looking for their exit in the next few years and want to get their business in a position to get the highest payout when they sell their business or, or get acquired or acquire others. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. So thank you so much for coming on and um, sharing with us your story today, Andrew. It's been really fascinating having you here. I mean, again, if you're in that spot where you're looking to grow your business, maybe have a part-time marketing executive, definitely reach out to Fangled Tech. Um, and uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for our audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? I'm all wisdomed out, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> convert, awesome. everyone, so, convert everyone into a voracious advocate for your brand. That's how you grow your business. Absolutely.